Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we try to introduce each other to those hobbies through the latest news in both books and sports. And today seems to be the crowd favorite book episode. It's literally everyone's favorite. Why do we even do the sports anymore? I'm starting to wonder. (laughs) But we've been away for a while thanks to Thanksgiving. See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. And so we've got quite a bit of news to be getting on with, as well as a tag discussing the first of the Harry Potter Deathly Hallows movies, and so on. So we should probably get to it. Yeah. The first bit of news is something I'm not a fan of, so we'll knock it out real quick. Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has been sold to Penguin Random House. The sale was for $2.175 billion, and it will close in 2021 pending regulatory approval, whatever that means. And not to make them angry because we are hoping to partner with them probably soon, but I didn't know Penguins had so much money. Penguin is kind of a powerhouse because it used to be just Penguin, and just Random House, and then they've come together to become Penguin Random House, and now they're picking up Simon and Schuster. So it's kind of like Sprint and T-Mobile, and then they came together to be T-Mobile, and now they're like the biggest 5G network. Is that similar? Like, is that for my techie brain person to understand? Sure. Okay. All right. Simon and Schuster is going to continue to be managed as a separate publishing entity, but it'll be under Penguin Random House's umbrella. Gotcha. And Simon & Schuster is the third largest among the big five publishers. So they're pretty big to get sold. And this seems to have just been the company that owned them didn't want to put in any time or effort to make them continue to do well. And so they're like, if someone wants to buy, here you go. And so someone bought. Which I don't think we should have like a giant conglomerate of publishing houses. I'm not a fan of that idea. It only makes it a little bit harder for like authors to try to become published. So like I can kind of understand that argument there. Because if you can only apply it to like three or four major players at that point and you don't get picked up, then you're definitely never going to get a chance. Well, and publishing is a hard enough industry to get into. Right. So you really don't need any more roadblocks to getting there. I could imagine. But who knows, maybe they'll still continue to do the books that I enjoy and it doesn't end up being a problem. Who knows from here. Right. And then one piece of news that I thought you would think is interesting. Okay. If you don't, then I'll be surprised. So a book called Cooking with Deadpool by Mark (laughs) Sumerak and Alana Craig is going to be published by Inside Editions on February 3rd of 2021. I've seen what's going to be in this book already. It's fun. I like it so much. I think it's really cheesy. (laughs) Well, yeah. But I think it's going to be interesting. If you're a comic book fan or specifically a Deadpool fan, this is like the cooking book for you to have. There's supposed to be like the chimichanga recipes and all sorts of silly like things. Yeah. So it's being, I don't know, like sold off as... Over 60 recipes from the Merc with the Mouth. So That's accurate. And the thing on the back says, Deadpool brings his inimitable style, foul-mouthed humor, and notorious skills with a blade to the kitchen in a take on traditional cookbooks featuring classic recipes with a Deadpool twist. Mm -hmm. And 
I think you and I saw the same thing because it had a couple of uh, pages from the book. Yeah. And one that I saw was Stabby Meat Sticks are the names for the kebabs. Yes. And there are pages that have Deadpool artwork or he'll break the fourth wall and like make a comment about something that the writer has said on like an introduction page or part of the recipe. So what's weird about this is some of these recipes existed on Reddit before they were ever used for this book. Somebody basically like there was a whole Reddit thing of like just cartoon comic book foods. Okay. And I used to follow it pretty closely. I don't remember the exact subreddit name for it, so I apologize to whoever created it. But it existed out there. And so when this got announced, I was like, this literally, like, this idea was literally taken from something that has already existed for a long time. Well, I mean, if you don't copyright it and turn it into something well, financial, then, like, right. that's it's, on you it's for Reddit. not doing It's a that. public forum, right. so, like, I totally understand, but it's just, like, I'm excited to see it because, like, these types of things have always existed with, like, movies, cartoon characters, like, you name it, comic books, like, there's always been something. I've had a Mickey Mouse cookbook when I was, yeah. like, a little kid, so this isn't, like, a new idea, of course. Well, and, like, you had, in instances, like, uh, with Marvel, you had the shawarma recipe from the tiny restaurant that they all sat in right that got posted and stuff like that so it's not a first go around for you know something like this to exist but i think it's really neat and i'm excited to kind of see it in person so i don't know that you'd let me cook any of the things in it because i'd burn the house down because i'm an awful cook but at the same time i'm willing to taste test some of the options if you're going to try to make them so well what would happen is you would be my quote-unquote sous chef which means you get down the big things that i can't reach because i'm too short and i taste test for poison so yeah it'll be fantastic And there's specifically one page that I think you would find hilarious. I don't know if you've seen it already, but it's about picking the right knife for the right job as you're using this cookbook. That makes so much sense, though. And it lays out all the different types of knives that you could use, and then at the bottom of the page is a katana. That's fantastic. And, like, it's hilarious. Yes, katanas to cut loaves of French bread. Have you tried to cut through a crusty loaf of French bread? That's difficult. Maybe you do need a katana for that. And a weird piece of news kind of a publishing company in the uk called idazine i think has over four thousand books that are stuck on a ship that can't dock and this ship hasn't been able to dock since halloween and we're almost all the way through november so for a month and it currently has over 2,500 prepaid books waiting to be delivered that are stuck on this boat which kind of sucks if you pre-ordered this Yeah. And the owner of the port is trying to hire more equipment drivers to help with, like, I guess they just have too many things coming into port. Yeah. And so some ships are now limiting the amount of cargo that they bring into the UK to help offset this problem. I think this stems from COVID and people ordering things online. Right. But I've never heard of something like this. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting and a little weird, to be completely honest. I don't know. It's just, it seems strange, I guess. It is strange. But it sounds like it's kind of a small publishing house, so maybe it's who they're using that has the problem, and it's not a giant, wide thing happening in publishing in the UK. I don't know. Yeah, let's hope. Right? That sounds a little not good for business. <laughs> it's really not good for business. And... As you know, the pandemic has been 
doing a lot of damage for bookstores, specifically the more independent bookstores are having problems and putting them on the brink of closure. So bookstores have been coming up with creative ideas to keep stores afloat. Like we mentioned, like Shakespeare and Company has like that Christmas bundle Christmas thing bundle. Doing. Yeah, the books for like six months or something like that. Yeah. And then you've got others that do like mystery grab bags that you pay a certain amount of money for and you get so many books. You're even starting to see like libraries, libraries doing book sales like that as well when they have too much stuff that they're collecting. So. Well, and libraries always do book sales, but like they're trying to but I mean, like bring more people in. Grab bags and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Ken Sanders, who's the owner of Ken Sanders Rare Books, is apparently teaming up with a brewery to produce a line of beer with bookish names. And I put, here's to hoping that flowing beer will help save the store. It probably will. Um, because as a whole, and I'm not going to say book readers are drinkers, but I know that there's probably a lot more people that will intake alcohol than there are that will go and buy books currently during the pandemic. So maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I want to say the beer community is growing vastly right now because of all these home brews that are popping up so well it's a small brewery it's in the northern west i want to say it's in lake seattle that would make sense there's a large beer scene there mm -hmm. as there is in portland and really anywhere on the west coast let's just be honest right so that sounded cute yeah i mean my friends and i have like daydreamed about owning some sort of bar and bookstore combination before so like this is interesting yeah definitely and then this past week six young adult authors have come together to co-author a new book called blackout and it was announced on their social media on tuesday i want to say it was and the authors are six black women and they are Danielle Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. I haven't heard of many of those, but I am kind of out of touch with the book community, so that's probably why. I've read half of these authors. Okay, well, there you go. So, so they are relatively good, then, I would imagine. They're very good. Yeah. And it is a novel that's made up of six interlinked stories celebrating black love takes place in New York, and centers around a city-wide power outage. Interesting. Blackout is set for release on June 22nd of 2021. Cool. So that sounds good. One of the authors came out and said that this is like a love story to New York, but it's also black women writing black love stories. So you get your representation in there that it's kind of easier to find now than it used to be, but it's still not as prevalent right. in young adult literature as it probably should be. And then talking about some old writing compared to new writing, there is going to be a new release of Tolkien's writing and it'll happen on June 24th of 2021. It'll be called The Nature of Middle-Earth. Basically, Middle-Earth itself was originally brought to the world in 1937 with The Hobbit and then continued in 1954 with Lord of the Rings, and we all know how big those things are. Yeah, Lord of the Rings was kind of a relevant thing for a little while. You're sarcastic, and I love it. <laughs> and basically, it's something that I guess had not been released to the world yet, and I don't know why not, but it's coming out next year. I'm not huge on Middle-earth stuff, but I have read the first book in Lord of the Rings, so... I'm thinking eventually that's one that I have to read because I've never read it. 
It's just if, a lot. If you're reading that, just know I'm not. Yeah. Um, it's my problem that I have with some stuff. It's the writing style and it's like the high fantasy nature of it. Yeah. So for me, it's not something that I really want to read. He's overly descriptive in my opinion, but not everyone likes to read the same things I do. So we possibly will have different opinions on this. Right. But I had to read the first book for a class and it took me two weeks. Fun. I normally read a lot in two weeks. It's really dense. And Quentin Tarantino, I don't know if you know who that is, but <laughs> he has signed a two book deal with Harper Collins. Is he writing about himself or is so, he writing like an uh, actual series? Thing? The first is a novelization of his most recent movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. So they're, instead of doing book to movie, they're doing movie to book. Yeah. And the second one is a nonfiction book titled Cinema Speculation, which will explore movies of the 1970s that have inspired him or had some like impact on him. Right. It's like a deep dive into 70s film. Should be good. If you're into that sort of thing, I suppose. I'm a movie guy, so that that's like right up my alley personally. But yeah. I know that's not everybody's tastes, to say the least. Well, and I think it'll also depend on how much you like him as a person. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about that in that instance. But I don't know. It should be good. I, I really do like the that era of movie making because it's just... Everything had to actually be created. It wasn't the age of CGI. So, like, it's interesting. I feel like it'll be interesting to see, like, the background and, like, all the world building around it more so than anything. Yeah. And this next thing I almost put in the sports episode, but we've had discussions before where just because something's happening with a sports player doesn't make it sports news, which I disagree with, but you told me that before. <laughs> So, Marcus Rashford of Manchester United has teamed up with Macmillan Children's Books to promote and spread the joy of reading. As if this guy has not done enough. Right? Like he We was, like this man a he lot. He was literally like one step away from being knighted earlier this year for his food outreach programs in poorer neighborhoods in Manchester. Well, so. he wanted to do this apparently because he really only started reading as it led up into his adulthood. I think he was 17 when he started reading for fun. Yeah, well, he grew up really, really poor. And a lot that of people was don't his realize point. It. And the education system in the United Kingdom, it's rough in bad neighborhoods. Yeah. And when you're a young sports star like Rashford, so Rashford came up probably about like 12 or 14 years old, was already being recognized playing at semi-professional levels. You really don't get the proper education balance when you're working out like a grown adult athlete every single week. You're probably getting half the time you normally would in school. So, like, I understand the argument behind this. Like, he realizes that there's a chunk of him missing educationally based on that. And, like, obviously the, the enjoyment of reading probably didn't come at a normal age where it does for some people that really enjoy reading. Yeah. He started reading at 17 and he came out when this was announced saying that books weren't something his family could afford when he was a kid. Right. And so he wants to help children be able to get into reading and be able to, he said escape, which I completely agree with. Like for me, reading is escapism, but there's a lot of negative connotation people have with that because for some reason people think that if you're using it to escape reality, it's like frivolous or meaningless. And in reality, it could mean everything. It could literally make somebody's life better by doing that. So I don't know. I just think 
if you're like us and you think books are meant to help you escape and explore worlds you've never been to or never been able to be in, then I think it leads to a lot of learning not only about other worlds, but about yourself and develop your empathy and understanding of other people. So I think this is really important for children as they're developing. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly in that instance. So I really like that he's doing that. He's still pretty young, isn't he? He's early Um, 20s at the most? Yeah, I would say roughly around that. So he's really not by any means an older player yeah he's 23 years old so like not not that old at all and i really like what he's been doing with not just his money but with his standing in the community and being able to do these things right definitely again he's on manchester united just say i was it's bad that i was waiting the whole time for that I mean, I said it when I said his name originally. Yeah. And the final bit of news that I have from our disappearance Mm -hmm. is the one thing that I am most excited for, but we have the least amount of news on, really. So, the Wrath and the Dawn duology from Renee Audier is being adapted for TV. It's going to become a TV show. Yay. I am so excited for this. (laughs) I cannot explain to you how excited I am for this. Gotcha. So... 1212 Entertainment has optioned the rights for this epic fantasy story, but that's it. That's all we know. Don't know when, don't know where, don't know how. Right. But The Wrath and the Dawn is a really well-written desert fantasy that I read last year, I think. And basically, Khalid is the king in this young country, and each night he takes a new bride only to kill them in the morning. And everyone thinks he's just doing this on a whim or doing this because that's what he's in the mood for. And he's got this really dangerous and bad reputation as a ruler. But then this one girl's friend is the one picked to be the bride one night and she gets killed the next morning. So Charizard, I believe is how you say that. It almost sounded like you said Charizard. Like we're going into Pokemon. She decides to volunteer to be his bride one night and get killed in the morning is the assumption. But then that night she starts telling him a story and leaves him on a cliffhanger and he doesn't kill her in the morning. And that's where the story starts. Interesting. There's a lot done there with the character development between the two characters, but also their personal development as a character on their own. And I really enjoy this setting a lot. It's also really done well. So for me, it's kind of like this hate to love, but it's mostly just a fantasy story. Yeah. So I think it'll be good for TV. Yeah, probably. And I wish I had more information on that because I don't have enough. It's like I could talk about it all day. If only. But that's all the news I have. Seems like good news. Mostly. Yeah. I will state, honestly, guys, like if your local community has a library sale or you have a mom and pop bookstore, please support it. I've been trying to drag Liberty out to one in Fort Worth for a little while now, but, uh, you know, time is time. And this time of year, I don't have much of it. So it's mostly my fault. I also still have some lingering COVID symptoms. Um, not that I have COVID anymore, but that I have health issues issues stemming from having had COVID. So trying to go out and look at things is not the best decision right now. It's really not. Yeah. But I also brought a tag that I don't know that you're going to have answers to some of these, but it's a new tag, so I wanted to do it. It got created at the very tail end of September. 
So I thought we could do it. Tag I'm it? We're both it at the same time. Oh, okay. It's the anti-TBR tag, so it's all negative stuff. Cool, I don't have anything on a TBR, so this is going to go real well for me. I'm, I'm expecting a lot of not applicables. We'll see. What is a popular book that everyone loves and you have no interest in reading? Twilight series. I feel like at one point it was very popular, and it still kind of is, I feel like. It's still kind of a staple of an era of books, but I would never have any interest in reading that book series. It was definitely popular at the time. Now it's become more like that trash series that it's, no one wants to read. It's more like, wow, we read that? Um, Why? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's basically like any mystery thriller that's coming out right now that's popular i'm like not into Oof. i think what about like the in the halls with a knife and stuff like that okay look i don't count ya as being like the mystery <laughs> thriller because it has other things happening it's not just a mystery thriller that relies on someone being a drunk or on drugs in order to make the mystery make sense it sounds like you just don't like mystery books but i will say the one in particular I'm thinking of is One by One, I think, by Ruth Ware. It's basically a take on Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None okay. in a more modern setting. But I've read a few Ruth Ware books and haven't been wowed and, in fact, hated one. So it's like, I think I'm, I'm good. Everyone loves you, but that doesn't mean I have to read you. Right. What is a classic book or author that you don't have any interest in reading? Classic book or author, and this might be bad, I guess, but I, like a playwright, I guess, would be like Shakespeare. I really am not interested in many of his works. I've read a few of them over the years, and it's just, yeah. For me, I was going to say basically any classic, because I don't <laughs> like historical fiction. And while these things aren't historical fiction, because they were written at that time, right, about that time, right, it's more along the lines of if it has like a historical setting, I'm not interested in it. But you said that, and weirdly, like I like Shakespeare. Oof, I'm sorry. Because he's kind of a sarcastic muffer. Well, he definitely can be. And, like, when we had to read Hamlet, like, I've never loved a character more than I've loved Hamlet. And so, like, I was going to say that about classics, but now I'm like, well, I can't say that about classics anymore. The one that I did write down is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. And again, it's just things that are too, like, of their time from a long time ago. I'm like, nah, I don't need to read that. Yeah. You should, though. So, like, the thing is, like, I, when it comes to, like, my music tastes, I listen to stuff from all generations of music. Like, I have big band on my phone all the way to current, like, pop punk. Okay, so pull up your Gregorian chant if we're going I there. I don't have Gregorian chants, but my point being is that, like, just like music, all books kind of, like, when it comes to writers, get their taste of their writing style from somewhere and so like the classics you can't hate on all of them because it is the basis for what a lot of writers write the way they write now so correct and the number one thing that i could pull up here is a wizard of earth sea by ursula k gwen Gwyn. Yeah. and i had to read that for a class and it is like the basis for so many fantasy stories that came after i still didn't like it I still was bored, still spent like half the time with this character in a freaking boat and did not a lot. So, I mean, 
you can respect the classics for what they were, but understand that literature has changed and therefore your tastes are going to be different for the most part. Yeah. Do you have an author whose books you have no interest in reading? So not book or classic specific, just an author you're like, stay away from me. Not particularly. I don't think I have anybody that I'm like, I hate this. I think you'd have to read a lot more to find like an author specific. Yeah, and... Unlike you, I, I feel like even if I do find one that's not my taste, I'll probably still read the book if it's recommended to me just because I like to always give chances. And on, almost on a limited level, I'm like, because, like, there's, if we go into, like, video games for this matter, like, there's some companies that make games where it's just like, oof, you missed. But, like, if it still looks interesting, I will probably buy whatever it is from them just to see if it's better than what they did previously. Well, you say unlike me, but I've been really into reading almost my entire life. So I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And I don't want to waste my time with an author that has proven in the past that I'm not going to like them. And then... But you don't know that their new piece of work, it, it could be what, like the pinnacle of their capability. And you're just like, nah, I'm good. But... The author I picked here was Holly Black, and it's not necessarily I don't like her ideas. Some of her ideas are really good, Yeah. but I don't like her writing style, and no one's writing style changes that much, even if they develop as an author over the years. Like, they still have roughly the same writing style because that's just how they write. Yeah. Like, I read Coldest Girl in Cold Town and another one of Holly Black's books years ago, and it wasn't that the ideas were bad, it's just I didn't like the writing style. Yeah. And so, like, she's got a series that's been finished in the past year or so, I want to say, and I've never wanted to pick it up, despite the fact that it's got a great plot line or whatever. It's just that I will never like anything she puts out unless she drastically changes as an author, which I don't see happening because she is well-loved and there's really no reason for her to change. Yeah. I don't think that necessarily makes me picky. No, I don't think you're picky by any means. I'm just saying that you more or less are just kind of closed off to the idea of going back to that author for like, what if it's a completely new series and you actually like the premise of it would you read it or would you just... well i just told you that there was a series that came out recently yeah. that i like the idea of but i'm never gonna read because i don't like her writing yeah. so no that's sad is there an author you've read a couple of books from and decide their writing's not for you yes but more than just holly black also ruth Ware, as i've mentioned yeah i don't like her writing style I think she does a very bad job at mysteries because either I see it coming a mile away or she uses those tropes that I don't like, like an unreliable narrator. Right. Just not for me. Yeah, I don't. again, I don't know that I have one yet because I'm not really in depth with a lot of the authors, but most of what I've read I've enjoyed so far. So, like, my percentage of enjoyment to bad authors is definitely leaning to one side currently. But right. I feel like I've always had books recommended to me by people that for the most part, know what taste I have. I would say reading Harry Potter is like the first one where it's like, this isn't really my alley of what I enjoy reading, but it's been good so far, so. Yeah. What is a genre you have no interest in or a genre that you've tried to get into and you couldn't? Contemporary. I don't know that that's going to be for me. I just I don't, don't know. You sound pretty closed off there. I'm just saying the books that I've read that have been contemporary based over my lifetime is not something I've truly enjoyed by any means, so. Yeah, for me, it's historical fiction, but also, like, manga isn't my thing, probably will never be. My problem with historical fiction is 
it tries to be historically accurate, but it's still faked. And like it's just like it shouldn't be done. It's like it's polished yeah. so that it's more palatable for 20-whatever audiences. Yeah. Yeah. What is a book that you have bought but you will never read? Um, there are a couple of books that I bought that I have not read, but I would like to read at some point. So I don't know, really. I have That you'll never read? You don't have one? I don't really think so. That I personally bought that I would never read. I'm looking at a whole series right now. That I bought? Well, no. Like I've, I, I think you've bought me the first book in that series. It's possible. I've, I've bought you a lot of books. So Anne Bishop has a series all about... It's like an urban fantasy, so there are fantasy elements happening in, like, the normal reality. Interesting. And it's about this girl who's a seer, basically, and she runs away from where she's being held because they sell her body for prophecies and stuff. And she's taken in by a werewolf and a bunch of other types of mythological creatures. Okay. And they protect her from the people who are out to get her back. Gotcha. I don't think you would ever read this because it's a little bit romantic. Not as much as I would have liked. Like, I don't think there's enough romance in it, but I think you (laughs) would not like it because it's got some in there. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, this question of, like, interspecies dating or whatever. Like, they're not mating. They're not, like, having sex. But, like, they're interested in each other romantically. Okay. So, like, I could see that being a little weird for you and you not wanting to read that. But you did buy me the first book. I bought, uh, over the years, I bought you a lot of books. It's just, you usually are the ones, you're picking it out for yourself in most Mm -hmm. instances. One that I put down is Under the Dome by Stephen King. Because it's a book I've bought for myself. It's a book I've tried to read, and I will never get through it. And that's just how it is. And, like, I don't like DNFing books in general, but I was 300 pages in to a thousand-page novel and bored out of my flippin' mind. Yeah. Because he got into such the tiny details and the itty-bitty things that were happening, and, like, the story was not moving. So that's just not something that's gonna ever happen it's too much time and effort for too little i agree with that i remember watching you painfully struggle to try to read that book well it's also dense so it's like it's a lot of time to get not very far in this really long book right what is a series that you have no interest in reading or a series you started and dnf'd yeah i'm kind of not on that boat I don't really have anything that I haven't finished. I'm in the middle of finishing Harry Potter. Like, that's the most recent series I've started, so. I'm trying to think what series I have that I know besides that one that you will never read. I don't think you'd read The Conspiracy of Us and that whole series. It's... Considering I've never heard of it, you'd probably be right. Well, they're right there. It's great. It's... You pointed at a bookcase full of books. <laughs> It is a three-book series about a girl who finds out that her parents are involved in the secret organization that basically runs the world. Like, their decisions affect whole countries and stuff. And there's a romantic relationship and there's a romantic triangle in there, so that's part of the reason I think you won't like it. It's also not super action-packed, despite the fact that they're traveling all over the world, like, every day. And so I think it's just not something you would ever read. Well, let's not put my hopes up to that because I probably will read it. It sounds kind of interesting. Like I'm overselling like cons- it to you, I, I think. Well, I don't know that you are. We'll, we'll see. It's obviously not on the top of my list to continue immediately, but, you know, 
There's a lot of series that I think people that are listening would rather me read before I read that, so. There's a lot of series I would rather you read. Yeah. Gestures broadly at my favorites bookshelf. Yeah. So for me, it's The Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. And it's partially because almost all of his series are interconnected. So, like, you have to read this whole series before you get into this series. And then you have to read this novella to get into this. And that's part of it. Part of it is that it's high fantasy, and I don't like high fantasy for the most part. I would rather read something that's a little easier to read, a little more palatable. Yeah. And, I mean, I never thought I was going to read any Sanderson ever until he came out with a young adult sci-fi series. And I've read two of those so far. The third one comes out next year, which I'm excited for. I think you might be interested in that, actually. But that's not part of, like, this interwoven multi-series, like, world. It's, like, a separate entity. No, that's good. And the final question, what is a new release that you have no interest in reading? So, any book that came out this past year that you have no interest in? I don't really know in, in that instance. I think you're just too open at this point because you haven't read much of it. I haven't found, like, my niche. And I think that's kind of where... I'm stuck. Like I don't want to. I don't want to not give a book a chance at this right. point. And that makes sense given the fact that you've read like two series as an adult. Yeah, because everything else I read while I was predominantly in high school. So like, and obviously a little bit in college, but that's more along the lines of the accuracy of that. So I had a problem answering this question too, kind of, because for me, I've read most of what I wanted to read this year, and. Yeah. The only one that really stuck out in my mind is The Kingdom of Back by Marie Liu. And again, it's partially because it's kind of historical fiction. It's sort of fantasy set in a historical fiction, maybe. It's about Mozart and his sister and the fact that she was never allowed to become a great pianist because she's a woman and like it leads into them creating like fantasy worlds. Not really my bag. You would think it would be because fantasy, but it's set in a historical setting that just puts Kills me it off. For you. Well, and it's kind of the characters too, because Mozart's pretty famous. If you don't know, what? Thank you for that. Yeah. So I don't know. For me, I just haven't been interested in it. But I've read a couple books by Marie Lu, and I didn't have a good time reading those. So that might also be part of the reason I don't want to read it. Definitely could be. That would make some sense. And now, on to what I've been reading. Hooray! In the roughly two weeks I had between recordings, I've only read three books, which is kind of bad. But two of them are about 500 pages or more. So pretty big books. Yeah. Plus everything that's been happening. So the first book I read was Shipped by Angie Hockman. It's a 2021 arc that releases in January on January 19th of 2021. I rated it 3.75 stars, which is pretty good for a contemporary novel, for me at least. It's about a woman who's up for promotion and is forced to go on a cruise with the other person who is also up for the same promotion in order to find out how they can make the cruise more marketable since it's the least sold package that they have. (laughs) And so it's supposed to be like this hate to love. And they do a pretty good job with making the reason for the hate 
be something that you can understand why they felt that way. Is their hate just based on the fact that they're competing for the same job? No. Or... No. Okay. They have, like, a past of, like, reasons that they dislike each other. And yet, it's such a small thing that you can understand them moving past it. And it being something that's not, like, a roadblock in a relationship. And it was pretty cute. I liked pretty much the whole time they were on that cruise together. And so... I wish we had gotten a little bit more of that. There was about 40 pages at the end, which are just like inter-office politics that I really, really did not enjoy because that's not my bag. And so I feel like if they could have like squished that down to be less of the book or expanded the cruise part more or something, I would have liked it better. But still, for me, 3.75 stars on a contemporary is pretty high. Yeah. I can, I can attest to that after sitting here for a couple of podcasts and hearing some contemporary ones where you're like, yeah, I wasn't so sure about it. I'm thinking I'm going to give it like a three or a two and some change. For me, contemporaries are all about the fact that you don't have to put in as much work into the world building. So I think you deserve less of a star rating. But we've talked about this before. My scale is all messed up. Yeah, it's not one standard. It's, it flows based on what you're actually reading. And the second book I read was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. What? I'm reading that too. Oh my goodness. And so we've discussed that book a lot on here. I don't need to go in depth on it. I don't need to talk about who's her face, who wrote it. And then the third book that I read was A Reaper at the Gates by Saba Tahir, which I'm rereading before the last book comes out this week. So I'm very nervous. I rated this one four stars. That's my original rating that I gave the book. I felt like it still seemed like a four star. Still deemed the same star rating? Yeah, I think so. And there's a lot of stuff I didn't notice the first time through or I've forgotten about, which seems to be a theme with this series because, again, I read it in like a week. I read three almost 500 page books in like a week, so that's a lot and a lot to try to remember. I'm not as emotional about it as I was last time, because when I read it the first time, I was crying when I finished the book. This time I didn't even come close to crying, so I don't know if it's because I saw what was going to happen already or what, but it still makes me very nervous for the final book to come out. I can imagine that would be the case. Yes, I'm very nervous. As for what I'm going to be reading next, I decided for the month of December to read some stuff that I've been holding on to and kind of waiting until Christmas time because here it is. And so I've got four novellas slash novels that are Christmas themed that I'm going to try to fit into December as well as four other things that aren't Christmas novellas to try to read. Okay. So basically I'm going to try to do one Christmas book or novella as well as another book each week for the month of December. So for the first one, I'm reading a novella called A Mistletoe Kiss by Jennifer Fay. Obviously it's a romance. No one is surprised. <laughs> I don't read a ton of them, but it's Christmas and it's like a Hallmark movie in novella form or book nice. form. And so I know you love those movies, so, you know. Yeah. It's a backlist book. I got it for free from the book club throughout the year. So I have, I want to say like three or four that are that way. And all I know is it's about a girl in a small town and a guy who's new to that small town and somehow romance happens. I assume they kiss underneath the mistletoe at some point. What? I know. It's a shock. The fake sarcasm is everywhere today. <laughs> it really is. And then the second book I'm going to read is 
a lot longer. So I'm reading Queen of Vaults by Amanda Foodie. This is a new release from September 1st of this year. It's the third book in the Shadow Game series. This book is 600 pages long. That novella is less than 200. So from very little to very lots. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to try to finish the novella on Tuesday and then I have the rest of the week to read the other one since again, I'm trying to just read two books a week for the rest of the year. Well, you've kept a pretty crazy pace up until this point, so I'm not shocked. The holidays always seem to slow me down, so if I'm not ahead of where I want to be by like the end of October, it can get very messy at the end of the year. Though I am 220 some odd percent to goal for this year, so I think I'm fine. Probably yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. But this is the concluding novel to the Shadow Game series, the first book being Ace of Shades. It's about a girl on the hunt for her adoptive mother who has disappeared. And she has to travel to this city of sin, basically. And she's this prim and proper girl who's been at boarding school. And her life sort of gets a little bit hectic as she sort of dives into the seedy underbelly of the city. Sounds interesting. It really is. I think you would like this series, actually. There is, of course, some romance in it, so who knows how you're going to feel about you that. You cooties and romance. Well, you haven't really read a series that has a lot of romance in it. Like, Harry Potter has some, but, like, it's so minimal compared to the rest of the story. Right. And I know Divergent has some. I was going to say, Divergent is literally based around a, like, love story to an extent. Like a... It's a factor yeah. in the book, but I don't think it's as much so as some other books that I have that you may or may not read. Right. But the real big thing we're discussing is the first Deathly Hallows movie. And how poorly it's adapted. Don't we say that about all the movies, though? No, no. I feel like the early on ones weren't so bad. Like, there were some things that were missing. But it was, like, the stuff that helps build filler for the other books later. Like, dare we say, Bill's existence. Yeah, like, he didn't get introduced till this movie. Which, like, oh, uh, hi, I'm Bill. And it's like, no, you've met before. Multiple, multiple times. Multiple times. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so... Yeah, cool. And that's just a start. Like, that's not even talking about, like, the Dursleys and the way they leave. Like, they pack up, like, a U-Haul. Like, they're heading out, you know. Like, I don't know. The little one that was, like, a fifth wheel basically attaches mm -hmm. to their vehicle, you know, U-Haul style in the movie. And so, like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, multiple times, and when I say multiple times, I mean almost the whole movie. It's me going to you, like, this is so wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And this is wrong. He can fly, he can fly, he can fly. <laughs> That's kind of how yeah. that sounded, sorry. My thing is, a lot of the stuff that I have problems with in this movie stem from the fact that things were excluded in previous books, at, well, movies of the books. That have caused problems. And then suddenly you're at the end of the series and you have all these things that you didn't know about when you were making movie five and you messed it up plot wise. So you have to go in and try to make something work. And you have so many things that haven't been like corrected yet that suddenly you're trying to wrap up in like two sentences like hi i'm bill and i was attacked by a werewolf and like you don't get everything that happened with that scene and then correct me if i'm wrong but it's a different actress that plays fleur completely in the final movie no she looked very different and maybe that's why like she looked way more grown up than she did in, in well 
the previous movie with the Goblet of Fire. It was movie four, now we're on movie seven. She yeah. would have grown up. But also, they did change her outfits, the way she dresses. Yeah. So I feel like that has to do with it. But it is the same girl. Like, they, in that movie, they dressed her more of, like, she's supposed to catch everybody's attention. Whereas now, she's a little more reserved because she's, you know, getting married and all that stuff. I don't know. Like, she That's just so seemed that I don't know. Again, that's just kind of my adaptation of it, I guess. But uh, again, I'm, I'm going to make the same argument I always do. If you haven't read the books, the movies stand fine. Like, everything's okay. I think you'd notice that there were some weird things, possibly, that clearly were left out from the books if you were watching the movies and never read the books. But at the same time, it's different. Because, like, obviously I had never seen past the Goblet of Fire for the movie. That was it for me. And when it came to the books, I think that's pretty much where I wrapped up to, to be completely honest, originally when I was younger, when I read it and watched those movies. Yeah. So I can kind of tell you now that I'm reading the books and then going to the movies that, like, the books are much better, but I still feel like there's things in the books that if you slimmed it down, it wouldn't be the end of the world either. I completely disagree with this sentiment, and I will always disagree with that sentiment, but I definitely think the movie does some things that make more sense some of the time. Yeah. But not enough of the time to make up for all the things that it gets wrong. And, like, so badly wrong. So, like you said, the Dursleys aren't leaving with a couple witches and wizards to keep them safe. They're just leaving. And I think that's an oversight there. Because Voldemort would use them. Like, if he knew where they were and what was going on with them and they had no protection. Yeah. He would use them to try to get Harry to... React. React in some way. So I think that's just a mistake. And it would have been very easy to just have two actors, unknown actors, because you've never seen those characters in the movies before. Right. Just come in and out, and it's like one quick scene. Yeah. And then there's the scene where Dudley tells Harry that I don't think you're a waste of space. And I think that does him a disservice as a character to take that away. Well, and it takes a little bit of the character building from Harry as well. So, like, he kind of has a little pride moment there. Like, yeah, I'm not. That's great, you know, moment where he doesn't get that now, so. And, like, their relationship is always going to kind of have this strain on it because of the way they grew up. But that could have been a moment to, like, work towards some sort of forgiveness later on down the road. That's just not going to be there. Right. The one thing that I think they did really well at the beginning of the movie is when everyone transforms to become a Harry. Yeah. And, like, it's partially down to his acting. Like, he does a good job trying to pick up the other people's traits in his acting to seem like he is Fleur disguised as Harry. And Well, he even changes his, like, voice to do him. So, like, it was impressive, to say the least. And also the way that they shot it was mm-hmm. good going in that circle. So I like that a lot. They do make some really good filming decisions that I really like. Right. And then also, too, like, let's, if we're going to rewind just a hair, like the Hermione scene where mm. she uses Obliviate on her, her parents. It's so funny because, like, they're watching a TV show about the Australian coast. Like, I think they, they nailed that one on the head. It was more of, like, she subtly forced them to think about those things and she removes herself from all the photos and stuff and... Well, I think they might have always sort of liked Australia, but been like, we've got a kid, we can't move there, maybe down the line when we retire or whatever, but then they just remove her entirely and remove that block so that she can make them hide out in Australia. Right, but like that decision-making process 
is slightly controlled by the TV show, which I thought was a very artistic way about doing that in a film setting. Because, like, in the book, it doesn't really explain how she does, but she just kind of explains that that's what she did. It's good to see because you really don't see Hermione with her parents in the movies up until that clip. So that was good to see. So it's a problem that I have between both the book and the movie. And she's using magic in a muggle dwelling. And it's not that she has a trace on her anymore because she is of age. But normally the Ministry of Magic knows if you're using magic in front of muggles. So would that not have raised some sort of flag in the system? I don't understand that. Like... This isn't a movie problem, it's a book question I have. Or is it something that possibly, like, unless there's other people that are noticing it? Because, like, obviously, they're not going to remember the magic being used as muggles, so maybe Mm -hmm. that might have something to do with it. Like, it's triggered based on other people seeing it happen. Well, you also have, later on, she uses the same spell on a muggle in the coffee shop. Yeah. And it might be like you're saying, like magic is being used on a muggle, but the muggle won't remember it. So maybe that's why it's not raising any flags. Right. Who knows? But that's not a movie to, or book to movie problem. That's just questionable. <laughs> and a problem. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had seen more of Harry, Ron, and Hermione having to try to figure out how to work around Mrs. Weasley to get to the point where they know what they're going to do and all of that fun stuff. Yeah. Plotting. Yeah, because it's really, like, the basic stuff was what was left in the movie, which you obviously have to do. You can't have everything from that book in a movie, for for that matter, any of the Harry Potter books, because it would be, the movie would be so long if they didn't cut things out, so. Yeah, but sometimes they just get things wrong, and it has nothing to do with showing or not showing. Like, specifically, I'm thinking Harry's birthday, like, they don't show it. At all. Which is fine. Yeah. My problem comes from the fact that they're trying to say that Harry's birthday and the wedding happened on the same day. And Hermione hints at that by saying, oh, we didn't celebrate your birthday. We should have made you a cake. No, don't worry about it. We had the wedding. So, like, yeah, that whole thing, like, was unnecessary. Truly. So, I don't know. And speaking of the wedding, I really wish that Crumb had been included. Yeah, that's kind of... um a somewhat important part of it all, realistically, so. Well, he's supposed to plant the idea in Harry's head that this mark is a dark mark right. of some sort. And also the jealousy that flares in Ron because Crumb is there, like, not as Hermione's date, but they interact some. Yeah. Apparently they had shot that. They had shot Crumb being there and then just cut it out of the movie as a whole. Huh. The movie's almost two and a half hours. I get it. But still. Yeah. But, like, honestly, it, even the scene where they're in when they're escaping the wedding is slightly skewed. Like, you're not seeing the Patronus. Like, you you are, but you're not. You know, like, it's not the... It's not a real Patronus. It's like this ball of light instead. Yeah. yeah. And then when they escape, they everything is, for the most part, accurate there until they're in the cafe because... The two people that attack them are supposed to be sitting directly behind them at a table, not, like, just ordering food. Right. So. That didn't bother me so much. I feel like...
like they did change some stuff in the cafe scene but not enough and like it's not significant enough to really bother me right but it was a little weird so didn't they like in the book mention the name of Voldemort and that's why they arrived is what they're thinking if they, they also did in the movie did they I yeah. must have missed that then Hermione briefly says his name uh-huh. in the cafe I was questioning as I was watching when the taboo is supposed to take effect because early in the first movie and early in the book, people are saying his name without any sort of problem, but then the cafe scene happens. So I'm thinking around the time when Kingsley sends the Patronus is is when when that becomes a taboo. Well, yeah, because they had taken over the Ministry of Magic at that point. So it makes sense that they have the power to do that at that point. And then they end up at 12 Grimald Place... And I really... There's just a lot of good stuff missing from that. I really don't know how to incorporate the things that I like from that without making the movie six hours. Yeah. Because... There's a lot of important stuff that goes on in the book that you just don't see in the movie at all. You miss Harry exploring Sirius's room and finding the letter from his mother. And I feel like that might not be necessary. Like, I don't think you would think it's important. But at the same time... It's an important part of the character development, though, too. It's important for Harry. Yeah. And, like, they changed who finds R.A.B., And why does everything good have to get reattributed to Ron? Like, I like Ron, but, like, that's so unnecessary. Right. I enjoy seeing Creature being, like, a good house elf and, like, taking care of them because, like, it's a moment of reprieve in the midst of all this chaos that I wish they had enjoyed more before it was gone. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like in that scene obviously is Dobby is involved somehow in the capture of it which was like out of left field like Um, I don't remember telling you to get Mundungus yeah and then when Creature comes back I think the adaptation of him trying to capture him was cute where he's like on his leg like I got him yeah (laughs) what you're a little elf what are you doing yeah I thought that was that was pretty like a good adaptation to the movie I, I enjoyed that scene But we also miss their plotting to figure out how to get into the ministry and working everything out. And I also miss the part where Remus comes in to, like, give them an update and also try to abandon his wife, who's newly pregnant. And, like, that's an important part of the story, I think. And, like, I don't think they ever give Remus and Tonks the attention that they deserve in the movies. I could agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, Lupin's important to the one movie, but otherwise it's just like he's barely even in existence. Right, and he's a significant figure in multiple books, so... That was a problem, in my opinion. Yeah. There were small things that were wrong with them actually, like, going into the ministry, but none of them were significant enough for me to actually have a problem Well, you missed that that scene with Mr. Weasley, like, chewing out Harry as that character or the person he is with the polyjuice potion. Runcorn. Runcorn, yeah. And so, like, I I enjoyed that scene. I thought that was really funny. And Harry's like, listen, like, I'm literally trying to help you, idiot. (laughs) Like, Is that a threat? But I don't know. For the most part, I like the way they did the ministry scene because it's just so chaotic. It was done pretty well. And I really liked the the distraction like magic that they used, like the little like horns on the wheels. I thought that was really cute. Decoy detonators. That's the one. Um, I, I really liked those. Those like that's literally what I visualized in my head. It's not what I pictured, but like, it, it works. It, it worked so well. And I, I loved it. I thought that was hilarious. 
But I like that the original Reg shows up like half dressed and sees his wife kissing Ron dressed as Reg. And like that whole thing was chaotic but fun. And like I didn't really have a problem with how that was done. Well, it didn't exist in the book, like that that scene anyways. Well, I mean the ministry thing, I don't mind how it was done. No. I did think it was a little weird that it wasn't more like a jailbreak scene like it was in the book. I think that was the one thing that had they done, I feel like it would have been just that much better. Because they could have included that and that would have been fine. Because you you had all these people waiting to be put on trial out in the hallways. And you have Hermione's, if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong. But her Patronus like leading the way to clear the path for all these people to escape from um, the Dementors that are in the hallway. So I feel like that was a really fun scene that really didn't need to change necessarily in the movie adaptation. They just decided not to do it. At the same time, it's like, where were all those people gone where they have all crammed into one little elevator? And mm-hmm. so like, I get the argument of the theatrical side of it, I guess. But I do like the way they do the part where Ron gets splinched because like looking at, a, at that, I was like, oh yeah, that's real gross. Yeah, it's really gross and really painful. So I definitely gives you a direct visual of like what they described in the book too so yeah one thing i forgot to mention earlier is when they were transporting all the harrys those way earlier sorry they just went straight to the borough yeah and they didn't go where they were meant to go Mm -hmm. i didn't like that because like the whole reason they were doing multiple harrys was because they wanted to take him to multiple locations so they wouldn't know which house they needed to try to attack and bring down the barriers on right not a fan of that yeah, and then the fact the way um, Hedwig died, she oh, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. theatrically make her look really brave. I get it, but it's like she's supposed to be just a unnecessary casualty of the war, more or less, is the way like I saw it in the book. Or she was just kind of a bystander in the process of being rescued, and then was just killed because of that. And like that's really jacked up. I don't know. I had a little bit, of, a little bit of a problem with that. I'm trying to think of what else really like drove me crazy. The rest of it, I think for the most part, stayed pretty on key with the story. Like, the traveling around stuff was really messy. The fact that the possessed Bathilda with the snake inside Mm -hmm. met them at the gravesite, like at the graveyard, is not at all how it worked. So, I thought that was a little strange. But I think that scene overall was done pretty well, like in the movie itself. Obviously, uh, Voldemort never appears there like he does in the book, but otherwise it's pretty accurate adaptation of it would you agree Mm, for the most part i think there wasn't a ton to get wrong from this point yeah because they're traveling from woods to woods they did avoid the part where hermione takes phineas nigellus black's portrait off the wall and puts it in the beaded bag and then he overhears that they're in the forest of dean and that's how snape knows to lead them to the sword so i just i don't know i I think there are some things that are very inaccurate that lead to problems. There are some things that are just inaccurate for the sake of being inaccurate. Like the fact that they were listening to the wizard wireless the whole time they were gone. Yeah, instead of when uh, Ron came back and knew about it. Right. Yeah. And the scene with Xenophilius Lovegood. Was a disaster. That whole thing was just completely wrong. And I know they probably did it for time. They probably did it so they would have less actors they had to deal with for that scene. I still agree that it's a good scene the way the movie made it. It's just not a good comparison mm-hmm. for like accuracy's sake. Well, um, that's what we've been doing this whole time is going, how does this compare to the book? Now, there are some things that I think 
the movie did better than the books. The prime example happening during the Xenophilius Lovegood scene, which is the tale of the three brothers. I actually enjoyed that. I loved the way that they did that so much. Yeah. Because you still got to have Hermione narrating the whole story, but you also got to see a story. And the way that they did the CGI or whatever for that was really well done. It was so good. It was so good. And I remember seeing it in theaters and everyone around me and I were just obsessed with what was happening on the screen as it was unfolding. Yeah. Now, the stuff that actually happens with them getting caught, that's where you start to get into like the nitty gritty, this is completely wrong. Because they don't break the taboo. Right. And they don't get caught that way. They get caught by just disapparating somewhere and landing in front of a bunch of snatchers. Yeah. Which does not sound right if they're going directly into like wooded areas. Right. And just apparating there. And like, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I was very tired when we watched the movie. I don't think Dean Thomas was there. Nope. And whoever else was with them when they got caught. Well, yeah, the Dean Thomas thing wasn't there. Like, you didn't have the scene where they were wandering around in the forest either, where you had... It was Ted Tonks, right, I believe? That it was... was Ted Tonks, Dean Thomas, Grip Hook, and Gornuck. Yeah. I feel like there was a fifth one I'm not remembering. No, there were, only, there were only four of them, and they were on the run from Snatchers. Yeah. Yeah. But it gets talked about on the Wizard Wireless. Right. At that time, they would be yeah. overhearing their conversation. But when they actually make it to Malfoy Manor... It's pretty accurate. Is it, though? Is yeah. it? Like, it's not as in-depth as it was in the book, obviously. The conversation periods were much longer in the book than they are in the movie. I feel well, like it might have been a little rushed. It it definitely felt rushed, and it felt like... You didn't get to see the dynamics, really, between the Death Eaters and the Malfoy family, and then Bellatrix Lestrange. <laughs> so, I don't know. I miss seeing that and how that all worked out. Yeah. But otherwise, it was pretty accurate, other than the fact that it was just go, go, go. Well... And then you have the Dobby scene at the top of the uh, stairs taking them out, Dobby which was, was a problem. The Dobby stuff was yeah. all wrong, and I feel like... They, they did that just because they didn't want to show somebody killing themselves, I feel like. Well, they cut out the part where Wormtail, owing Harry his life, decides to kill himself. He doesn't really decide. His hand decides, whatever. Yeah. In order to spare Harry. But they cut that out completely. And I think it's because it's a type of magic and a level of magic that they hadn't explained yet and didn't know how to explain correctly. Yeah. Or to do in a timely manner. Right. And then they inserted him unscrewing a chandelier so it would fall on Bellatrix because I don't believe that's what happened in the book. It was Dobby, right, that was doing that? Dobby did it in the movie. I don't yeah. I don't think that's what I don't think so. happened in the book. Honest. So I feel like they inserted Dobby more and gave him a funny line that everyone likes to quote, which he was aiming to maim, injure, but not to kill. Yeah. And, like, they're doing all that, I feel like, in order to set you up to be hurt when he gets killed. Oh, absolutely. And, like, that's the only reason or most of the reason he gets inserted in these places. What's bad for me is that, like, I still welled up just because of the fact that, like, I'm picturing Book Dobby and everything great that Book Dobby has done. And and then you still have those funny lines and things that literally just yeah, happen. Yeah, so it only builds a stronger bond with Dobby. And then when that hit, I was just like, oof. I'm glad they kept the scene where Luna came over and was like, we should close his eyes. Now he just looks like he's sleeping. Yeah. Like, I'm, I love Luna. I'm glad they kept that line in there. 
I'm not fond of the idea of the way they handled, like, the burial and all that stuff. Why? I don't know. It just wasn't... Like, you partially got it right with Harry digging the hole, but everybody else, like, two people were supposed to come out, like, it was Dean and who else, um, that were supposed to come out and help him dig the hole. Dean and Luna, I think, actually, in the book. I don't know. It's two of them. I know that. I just don't remember who, which two it was. I know it wasn't Hermione. I want to say Bill, but... No, it wasn't Bill, because Bill was taking care of the people in the house still. It's not what I pictured, like, that setting. Right. It's not between the two bushes that it was supposed to be, like it was in the book. It was, like, on a field uh, next to the ocean, which is really rare, FYI. If you've ever been to the UK, you know that fields don't just appear next to the sides of the ocean. Um, I'm sure there's instances of it, but the percentage of it is like this. But I actually remember, I had to tell you to read another chapter because this one tiny thing that we're about to talk about happens. Because the 30 second clip of where he collects the wand. And you hadn't gotten there yet. You just got to the part where Dobby died. Yeah. I feel like you could have ended the movie there. Yeah. And it would have been very easy to be like, yep, this is where we're ending it. And then but it didn't have... set you up for that giant cliffhanger, which is what that scene did. Right. Yeah. So I feel like it would have been really easy to do that. And then you're starting off with Harry talking to the wand maker and then everything's sort of go, go, go from the start for the second movie. See, I'm going to be really irritated if he still talks to Ollivander and Griphook after we've already seen the thing that's supposed to happen last. Right. I mean, he kind of needs to have those conversations still, though, because otherwise the audience is missing a lot of information that they were supposed to have. And the decision-making process, too. Right, because, like, the decision-making is the thing that leads to, like, him having to realize and accept that I made my choice, I can't do anything about it now, obviously Voldemort's already capitalized on that information, yeah, I can't got the do anything. one piece yeah. And, like, he has to live with the fact that he made this choice, and he made it for not just himself, for everyone around him. Yeah. For anyone who has to interact with him and this wand in yeah. the future, it all lays on his shoulders. Well, and you shoulders. even miss the scenes where Ron's like, why didn't we go after the wand if right. you knew? And it's like, dude, he's already there. Well, he wasn't when he made that choice to talk to Grip Hook instead yeah. of Ollivander. I don't know. I feel like you're missing a lot of information if you don't include those two conversations at the beginning of the second movie. Yeah. And, like, the wand lore stuff, I love that. Like, I eat it up. I cannot tell you how much I love that stuff. And, like, even up to this point, you're missing a lot of wand lore. And if you don't include that part, then I don't think the rest of the novel fully makes sense. You haven't gotten to that part yet. But I think if you don't have that conversation in the movie the rest of the movie is not going to make sense. Right. Either way, though, again, I feel like if you you chose one or the other, you'd be happy with either one so far. If you're comparing it movie to book, you hate the movies because they're just not... I, I don't say I hate the movies. The comparison I hate. Like, right. There's a lot of... There's too much stuff that's good and important that's missing. And I feel like, obviously, I still have to read the remainder of this book, the last third of it, which I will be doing this week. And then the week after that, we'll be watching the movie, second one of Deathly Hallows Part 2. So I'm excited to kind of wrap it all up finally. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like there's still a lot of stuff that I need closure on. And there's not much left in the book to do it. (laughs) That is often a book reading problem. As a book reader, it bothers me a lot. Yeah. But... From conversations I've had with people that have read the books, with yourself, 
myself, uh, things I've seen on the internet, the closure is going to come. It's just not... It just seems like it's going to be very, very fast-paced from here on out. And that's why you have to read two-thirds of the book for the first movie yeah. and one-third for the second. Well, it's because so much happens in the second. In, in the two-thirds of the book, there's it's so stretched out. Like, there's a lot more stuff. Like, all the traveling. Like, I, I complained about it the entire time on the right. last podcast where I'm just like, I'm just... I'm done with them apparating places. I don't care. They're in another force. Great. Who cares? You this is a common complaint. They're, they're, you could have avoided that. I mean, like, they apparated to a forest outside of this town, and then the scene where wherever they are continues. You know, but... I feel like as much as everyone complains about the fact that this movie and this book has so much of them just meandering and it feeling like they're not getting anything done, it has a purpose oh it and does part of that is to lay down foundational things like why ron's frustrated on. and things like that too like, true yes yeah. but it's also to show i don't know this kind of experience that they're having which is we're trying our best and still getting nowhere and the sort of frustration that they're all feeling especially yeah. ron and how they have to navigate that but I think it does make for a very action-packed back third of the book and an action-packed last movie, which most people like. Yeah. And there's one thing that I am nervous for you to read about. And the second you read this chapter, I'm going to try to pick your brain apart and see how you feel. Okay. I have a feeling it's going to be the same as how I felt after I read it the first time, but different from how I feel about it now. Gotcha. Because someone who's been in the Harry Potter fandom for so long, my experience with the literature and the fandom has completely changed my opinions over time about a few things. Okay. One of them being this one thing that you have no idea about. You haven't even started to get there. You're nowhere near it. Yay. And so it all kind of happens in one chapter. So we'll see. But what you're complaining about with the meandering is a common complaint. Yeah. And... I think it would have been maybe harder, but more beneficial to take some stuff that's explored in the back third and like pull it forward yeah. into earlier in the novel. But I don't know. There, there are some ideas that aren't even introduced till the back third of this book that have an impact on the rest of the series as a whole. And like, I wish there were more like breadcrumbs along the way before you get to it because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Gotcha. Either way, though, I'm excited to finish it. I'm excited to talk about the ending of the book, and we will be doing that next week. So uh, we appreciate you sticking around with our complaints about movie-to-film adaptation, because there will be that all over again in just two weeks' time. Well, and then we're done with that, and we have to figure out what we're doing next. Right. So obviously I'm open to recommendations. I know we don't have that large of a following yet to where it's going to be like an outpouring of, this is what we should do. But if you have any favorite books you would like my husband to read, you should definitely recommend them. Yeah. We're going to start season two in the new year, and we're probably going to have you read books from my favorite shelf right here. Oh man, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of series. I kind of want to make you read Throne of Glass, but I don't think you'd like it. Okay. So I probably won't. It's The, the last book is over a thousand pages. That's why I say that. I don't mind reading big books. It's just they've got to have something going on. It can't drag out like the apparition in the forests. <laughs> That's going to be your comparison for the rest of your yeah. life forever. This really long book, you should read it. 
well are they apparating through the forest all the yeah, time exactly because they are i don't want to read it but yeah if you have any recommendations check out our social media it will be linked in the show notes and tell us what you think he should read next season seriously because i live on the twitter account so like if you want to tweet at us or directly tweet us it's on my phone 24 7 as soon as there's a notification i'm such a nerd i'm like oh look people are communicating with me yeah whereas like you're liberty, so cute whereas like liberty and i definitely split the instagram stuff so yeah, yeah. like but yeah we appreciate you guys' time as always our social medias will all be listed in the information and we'll catch you next week guys bye bye